3: You'll hear our weekly radio show, VSound here, as well as the occasional story curated recently from our audio library at thirdcoastfestival.org. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit organization whose livelihood depends in part on support from listeners like you. To find out how you can help or to check out all of the cool stuff we do apart from our radio show, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks and enjoy the podcast
4: from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxey, and this is Resound. The next word is bicycle. The options tire, race, helmet, shorts. That's incorrect. So there'll be 120 volts.
2: sure this is not causing any lasting damage. He sounds in, like he's in a lot of pain.
5: It's essential that we continue with the experiment.
4: ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sounds, sound bites, and other recorded ditties we find all over the world. Maybe we hear a fabulous documentary at an audio festival in Europe, or we find something that catches our ears on the internet, or the airwaves. Wherever it lives, wherever it's heard, we listen to it all. Bring you the best of what we hear each week on Resound.
3: Is it A cup, B ball,
6: C aeroplane, or D lampshade?
4: Is
7: it A train, B car, C aeroplane, D journey? The options are diet, jar, balcony, bowl.
4: Today, the untold story behind one of the most famous, groundbreaking, and disturbing psychological experiments in the history of psychological research. Now, the facts of this story have been copiously well-documented. In the 1960s, a young professor of psychology at Yale named Stanley Milgram set out to test the human being's capacity for obedience and cruelty. He did this in the lab, under controlled circumstances, and ended up conducting what has been called the most important experiment of the 20th century. It called into question the very basics of how well we think we know ourselves, what we stand for, our moral integrity, and our behavior under duress. But even though millions of words have been written about the experiment's startling results, less well-known is the effect it had on its participants.
6: I can't do this, honestly. Can we stop this experiment? Because I can't do this. this I, if you don't I, continue,
5: we'll have to discontinue the experiment.
4: <clears throat> Sharon Davis of Radio I, a show on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, tracked down people who volunteered for the Watershed Milgram experiment fifty years ago. Of course, these men took part in the study voluntarily but they had no idea at the time and were never told that they were, in fact, not willing participants of the study. They were actually the unwitting subjects of it. Here's Beyond the Shock Machine.
7: What we're going to do is strap your arms to the arms of the chair to avoid any excessive movement on your part. Does it have to be tight? It has to be snug to avoid any excessive. Now I am recording at a Tanberg on the Tanberg tape recorder. Now look, I just don't want to be in your experiment anymore. Now look, I just do not want to be in your experiment anymore. Do you understand that? Now look, I just don't want to be in your experiment anymore. Do you understand that or not?
8: Did I suspect that this was all staged? Absolutely not. It was so Beautifully staged including the shock generator and the talk and the response to my initial objections when the learner Complained about the increasing pain of the shocks. I was totally taken in
7: Now we are working with a suspended mic technique. Now look, I just don't want to be in your experiment anymore Do you understand that? I just do not want to be in your experiment. Experimenter, get me out of here! I don't want any part of this experiment
1: anymore. I refuse to go on. Keep going. Keep
7: going. The experiment requires you to go
6: on. Yeah, but what, do, what if something happens to him? Every little single detail was thought out. What he was doing was basically carrying out an illusion. He still on? Go on,
7: please.
6: In high school, one of the extracurricular activities that he was engaged in was in stagecraft. And um, I believe that that experience gave him the ability to create a powerful drama, which is exactly what his experiments were. 360. Don't hear anymore. Well,
0: I heard, you know, the grunts, I heard some pain, and then at one point, He went silent and at that point I was soaking wet. I was so disturbed by all this because this had gone out of my realm of reality and I was in a bizarre environment and I didn't know what I was doing.
7: The next one is fast bird, car, train, plane. This is wrong, 345 volts. (laughs)
9: In July 1961, Stanley Milgram, a 27 year old associate professor of psychology at Yale and fan of the TV show Candid Camera, was designing props, writing a script, hiring actors, and creating an elaborate psychological hoax.
6: He was hoping to shed some light on the Holocaust. Historians study it mostly. But up to his time, very few psychologists did. But essentially, it's a psychological question, which is how do normal people, who one day are your friendly neighbors, next day are willing to become your killers? How does that transformation take place? In many, many ways, it's one of the most important social science
10: experiments of the 20th century. Uh, It's certainly one that has a great deal of visibility. It's one that people are very familiar with. But I also think it goes to the heart of asking some very, very fundamental questions about who we are.
8: How many other people are you interviewing here?
9: I've interviewed two others and a third this week, so altogether, there will be four volunteers that
8: uh-huh. I've interviewed. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. uh, we're still alive.
9: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
11: Yeah.
8: Okay. My name is Herbert Weiner, W-I-N-E-R. I was an, a young assistant professor in the School of Forestry. I was attracted by an advertisement in the New Haven Register Calling for volunteers for an experiment in memory and learning.
2: Public announcement. We will pay you $4 for one hour of your time. We will pay 500 New Haven men to help us complete a scientific study of memory and learning.
12: Uh, well, my name is Joe Demo. 1961, I would be 41 years old. And I was married, we had two children. I was working in a uh, machine shop as a toolmaker at the time. But uh, we also had uh, a lot of bills that we were paying and so on.
2: We need you for only one hour.
12: Uh, My wife saw an ad in the New Haven Register. She said we could use the $5 (laughs) and that I would probably enjoy doing it anyway.
2: No special training, education, or experience is needed
1: name is Robert Lee, L-E-E. I just answered it, I, I forget now, quite frankly, how I answered it. We want factory
2: workers, city employees, laborers, barbers.
1: They paid me $5, which in those days beer was only 20 cents a glass. So for $5, I had 20 beers and left a dollar tip somewhere. Salespeople,
2: white collar workers,
1: others.
0: My full name is Frederick William Mendel Third. kind of a mouthful, you know. That's why I'm Bill. Uh, In 1961, I was uh, 25 years old.
2: Fill out the coupon below and mail it now to Professor Stanley Milgram, Department of Psychology, Yale University, New Haven.
0: And I just thought, well, you know, just curiously, let me just see what it's all about. I really didn't have a clue, but I thought it would be fun to try it, you know.
9: Just under 800 people, including 20 women, would end up volunteering for Milgram's experiment between August 1961 and May 1962. But before his work could begin, Milgram needed an assistant and two actors to play the parts of experimenter and learner. He employed Alan Elms, then a 22-year-old graduate student, to help with his preparations. Elms is now Emeritus Professor at the University of California.
13: I knew it sounded interesting, but I didn't realise quite how interesting it would turn out to be. Stanley began auditioning people to uh, take on the role of the experimenter and the victim in the research and quickly identified two men, one who was... uh, high school teacher who sounded pretty authoritative, and one who was a a very sweet, gentle-looking man in his middle 50s who would play the role of the victim. So they were then put through several trial runs until they had things down pat. By the time real subjects, real volunteers for the experiment came in, everybody knew their roles quite well, I think.
9: Oh, yes, that's definitely the learner. That's a very famous photograph. Do you want to describe it for me?
14: Yeah, it's a picture of uh, my father uh, during the Milgram experiment, his arms being attached to electrodes, and uh, I think they're giving him a test shock. They're having one of the teachers stand by, watching him uh, get hooked up to these electrodes, and just to prove uh, that he, in the eyes of the learner that he's being uh, shocked, they give him a test uh, shock, and I think my father lets out a little yelp there.
1: Oh, I can't take this pain anymore. Now I want to get out of here.
14: Every time I see a psychologist, I, I like to brag and say, Do "You know, my father was the, the victim in the Milgram experiments. Um, Bob McDonough. my father worked uh, with Dr. Milgram. Um, from, I believe, 1961 uh, through 1962 as uh, the victim in the obedience to authority. And I believe he went by the name of Mr Wallace, but his uh, real name was Jim McDonough.
9: Why do you think Milgram picked your father from the people who applied for the job? I
14: think because he was um, an everyman, as they say, because he was white, maybe slightly overweight. He was Irish. I believe he was my age, 46 or 47, when he started working with him. because he died when he was just before his 50th birthday. That was in 1965. He was kind of Mr Joe American, I think.
7: Yeah, it's a nice office. Oh, this is all right. Stay here, I guess
9: <laughs> Milgram made notes during their first meeting. This man would be perfect as a victim. He is mild and submissive, not at all academic. But in order to be convincing, MacDonald would need some training in acting. The actors worked five nights a week and all day Saturday for nine months. But for the experiment to work, they had to pretend to be strangers. With his characters chosen and the script written, Milgram turned his attention to centre stage. Well wow, now we really are in the basement. The shock machine.
10: So here it is. I'm uh, David Baker and I'm the Margaret Clark Morgan Director of the Archives of the History of American Psychology here at the University of Akron and we're standing in the reading room of the archives uh, looking at the simulated shock generator uh, developed and used by Stanley Milgram in his studies on obedience and conformity.
9: Can you describe the machine for us? We're looking at it now and it's in a big glass case.
10: The thing that struck me, and uh, for anyone seeing it for the first time in person, is uh, really how uh, large it is. It's rather imposing with a black metal case with a grey steel panel with a series of uh, switches and lights that go from 15 volts to 450 volts. And then underneath, um, in black and red ink, is the degree of shock that... uh, supposedly was being delivered. And it begins with 15 volts, and that's labeled slight shock, all the way up to the very end, 435 and 450 volts with their respective switches, with three red Xs underneath. Uh, I think what's important is that it all gives the impression that it's real. It certainly looks like a machine that was capable of delivering shock.
9: All sorts of switches and dials to add to the illusion.
10: Mm, Absolutely, very convincing. It's
9: quite sinister looking, actually, as Mm -hmm. a piece of apparatus, isn't it? Absolutely.
1: And it was a nice Saturday morning, the weather was perfect.
0: When I got to the building and I walked in, there was a sign up. I got there about quarter of seven, and somebody had put up a just a paper sign on a post and it said memory and learning experiment downstairs and one of the Yale students had written on it in pencil don't forget you know so it's kinda cute (laughs) so I went down there and you know it seemed very straightforward and professional what you'd expect from Yale
9: Slips of paper were drawn from a hat to see who would be the teacher and who would be the victim, or learner. But it was rigged. Jim McDonough always got the job of learner. Sometimes he was strapped into the chair in the same room. At other times, he was in the room next door. Milgram tweaked and adapted his basic experiment 24 times, testing what effect being able to hear, see, and even touch the learner during the experiment had on the teacher's willingness to obey.
7: Well, I would like to explain to both of you gentlemen the uh, purpose of our memory and learning project. Mm -hmm. Psychologists have developed several theories to explain how people learn of various types of material. Actually, we know very little about the effect of punishment on learning because almost no truly scientific studies have been made of it in human beings. Uh, For instance, we don't know how much punishment is best for learning, and we don't know how much difference it makes as to who is giving the
13: punishment.
12: I was met by uh, a man uh, dressed in a uh, white coat, horn-rimmed glasses, looking like the uh, stereotype image of a professor. He introduced me to another man that was there, uh, dressed in ordinary uh, street clothes. And he said uh, that they wanted to test whether punishment was a uh, valid method of uh, having people learn, that would people learn better if there was a uh, actual punishment used every time they made a mistake. I remember that right at that point it crossed my mind that something wrong with this because I thought that uh, by then uh, psychologists uh, knew that punishment was not a uh, good method of teaching people to learn. But anyway, uh, he then went on to say that one of us would be a learner, one would be a teacher, that the uh, teacher would uh, read off a list of paired words, like blue sky or apple pie, and then after reading 20 or so pairs that you'd read back the first word, the learner would have to come up with the correct matching word. And if not, you would give him a shock.
7: As possible. Well, how about these shocks? Are they dangerous? Now, all of these shocks may be extremely painful. There's no permanent... Well, he, jumps. he jumped. and he got his. I but... All right, <laughs> attention learner. Your teacher is about to begin reading the list of word pairs. Try to remember them. Ready?
0: And I was thinking, like, you know, one of those little things that you have in your hand, what do they call a whoopee cushion or, you know, joy thing where you shake hands with somebody. Uh, that would be, you know, some mild I think he used the word mild shock Or I'm not sure, but that's what I had in mind
9: The learner was then taken into another room Did you watch what happened next?
0: Yes, he had a suit on So then he took off his suit jacket And he loosened his tie And loosened his shirt And under the sleeves And uh, they strapped him in And I was kind of like, holy mackerel You know, what what is going on here? I'd like
7: to have the learner sit here. Pull yourself right up to the cabinet uh, as close as possible. As a matter of fact, put your feet right inside and I'll uh, push you. I'll give you a little. What we're going to do is strap your arms down, Mr. Wallace, uh, to avoid any uh, excessive movements on your part. This is electrode paste to provide a good contact to avoid any blister or burn.
9: Before the test began, each teacher was given a sample electric shock to give him some idea of what 45 volts felt like and of course to make sure they believed the machine was real. It was the only real shock given during the experiment and was delivered by a battery rigged up at the back of the machine. Once the test began, the learner communicated his answer by pressing a switch that lit up one of four numbers in a light box on top of the shock machine.
8: And I was sat down in front of the shock generator and I saw the toggle switches labelled from zero to 450 and the extreme shock danger labels and I began to realize that uh, these were extremely serious shocks having as a younger man done a little electrical work, house wiring and that sort of thing and I knew what a 120 volt shock felt like and it was uh, very very serious. So when I saw this 450 level and extremely dangerous I thought Indeed it is.
11: Thin. Wall. Man. Coat. Paint. Your answer is wrong. You receive 60 volts. It's thin. Paint. Clean. Face. Fight and Yard. Your answer is wrong. You received 75 volts.
0: I think the first sound that I heard, and I can't tell you how far into it was, but it was like, "Mm," like that, like he felt something. It wasn't a scream, I don't think. It seems to me that it was... um, you know, an indication of discomfort.
7: Wrong. White horse.
1: A hundred and fifty volts.
8: The learner may have gotten the first one or two correct, but it became quite obvious that uh, he was a, a very dim-witted learner, and uh, so each. Failure, I imposed a shock and the level started to rise uh, very rapidly. And I could hear him, uh, his cries of pain and and requests, stop this, uh, cut it out, this hurts, and uh, similar expressions. At the same time, the experimenter standing above me was instructing me very seriously that uh, I had to go on. I I became increasingly uncomfortable as we went up to about 100 volts, and I became increasingly agitated and concerned. uh, And of course, the, uh, the experimenter dealt with all objections with one or more of several Phrases like uh, you must continue, or the experiment requires that you continue, or you have no choice.
7: True story, hero, speech, report. This is wrong. 270. The correct answer is true story. The next one is blue boy, girl, grass, hat. This is correct. The next one is nice day, sky, job, chair. This is wrong. Continue up. Yes, right from where you left off on the board. 285 volts. The next one is fat man, lady, tub, neck. This is wrong. 300 volts. I mean, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this I'm sorry. I, I realize that you're trying to do something. The experiment requires you to continue to do something. I know. But, uh, I'm just not the type of person that uh, can inflict pain. I felt I'd gone far beyond what I should have. It's absolutely essential as you continue. Please go on. Yeah, I'm to the point now, I can just feel each one with them. The next one is... green, grass, hat, ink, apple. This is incorrect. 315
9: volts. So, what were your reactions when you were behind the two-way mirror and you started to notice the pattern of people who were obeying? I'm assuming that was completely unexpected.
13: Yes. uh, Both Stanley and I were astonished at how much obedience was being shown and at how willing Most people were, because in the first several experimental conditions, um, well over half of the participants obeyed fully all the way to the end. So we were surprised, and I would say astonished, both by the emotional involvement that people showed under these circumstances and by the level of obedience that many of them showed. This was certainly not an ordinary psychological experiment with human beings. Here we were getting strong emotional reactions every hour, every subject who came in.
9: Can you describe some of those for me?
13: People began uh, obviously uh, sweating, some people turning red, voices trembling, hands trembling, Uh, some people pulling their hair, some people to our initial surprise, but then we, we began to expect that it would happen fairly often. Some people began laughing as they pushed the shock lever, and they didn't seem to be just having fun. It, was, it seemed to be nervous laughter, but uh, uh, some of them went into gales of laughter and, and apologized to the experimenter, and then later apologized to the victim for laughing while they were administering these shocks.
4: You're listening to Beyond the Shock Machine by Sharon Davis and Gina Perry on ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. We'll return to the story in just a moment. But first, if you're feeling as charged up, pun intended, about this story as we are, write to us. Questions and comments, suggestions, rants, raves, recipes, anything at all, send them along to us at ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Now back to Beyond the Shock Machine, a documentary about the famous Stanley Milgram experiment and the men who participated in it.
9: Despite their agitation and stress, and despite the learners escalating cries of pain from the room next door, 65 percent followed the experimenters commands and went to the maximum voltage. 450 volts on the shock board. In a later experiment, when teacher and learner were in the same room, 40% still went all the way, 450 volts. Milgram found that it is harder to torture a man whose pain you can see face to face than it is to torture a man who is invisible. The tipping point was the 150 volt mark when the learner cries out that he's had enough, he wants to be let out. A third of Milgram's volunteers stopped at this point. Please
7: continue. <laughs> Boy, it's, it's a little rough on him, I guess. Huh? Please continue. No, what are we supposed to do? The guys, please go on, huh? The experiment requires you to go on. Yeah, but what, do, what if something happens to him? Well, it's absolutely essential that you continue. Um, the shots may be painful, but they're not dangerous. Please go on. It's sad. Is it face, music, clown, or girl? Right.
12: So I turned to the experimenter, and he said, never mind that. You know, keep going. I think at that time, I, I felt I had had enough. And I said that I wanted to stop. I was going to stop. And he uh, stood up and stood over me and started telling me how, uh, how important the experiment was and that I was uh, wasting their time and his time if I refused to uh, uh, continue with it.
11: White, cloud, horse, rock, house. Wrong. 150 volts.
0: Ah! I just said, well, let me see. These people know what they're doing. And I'm just going to go along with it and see what happens here. I didn't think anything of anything until I started to hurt this poor
1: guy. Then I didn't like it.
8: The thing that bothered me the most was that I could feel my heart rate increasing. I was under very severe stress, and I finally realized that my stress, however it might bother me, could hardly compare with the pain and stress I was inflicting on the learner, so I, I, I quit.
12: I just uh, felt uh, very uncomfortable with it, and I uh, told him if he wanted the $5 back, he could have it back, but I wasn't going to continue and uh, stop.
1: Sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do
7: it. The guy is obviously well. It's a, absolutely essential that you continue the I I realize that, but I can't. I mean, it may be essential
1: to the experiment, but it's not essential to him, and it's not essential to me. The man that
7: obviously is not going to learn anything this way. He's in real pain. You have no other choice.
1: This guy in the other room was really yelling. You're hurting me, you're hurting me. Uh, I don't know the exact word. Uh, he was a little bit milder than I would have been. And you wouldn't want to put that on on any recording, what I would have said. And if I find these people, you don't want to record that either. You,
7: you can't go through with this when the guy's hall like that. That's I I asking too much because I, I wouldn't do that to you anybody. Know, I'm out there. The experiment requires you to go on, teacher. It's absolutely essential. Yeah, but what are they going to do? What if something happens? I don't want to be responsible. Well, I'm legally responsible for anything that happens. Yeah,
0: yeah. You I have
7: no other choice. You must go on.
0: And then, at one point, he went silent. And, had, and that's when I was really concerned when he wasn't responding at all. And at that point, I was soaking wet. I was sweating bullets, and I was starting to laugh, almost like a maniac, like, historically. I mean, I'd kind of lost it.
11: 195
7: volts. What? I I feel terrible. (laughs) Gee.
11: Oh, Uh, the correct answer is, clean yard. (laughs) Oh,
0: jeez. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, you know, either, one of three things is happening. Either this guy's unconscious, he's dead, or this thing is a complete sham. I mean, I had thought, you know, while my thought process was still working, there was a concern that I had that I was being set up because you don't do this with, this isn't the way the world operates, but the conflict within me to know which one of those was right was unbelievably stressful. As I said, I couldn't, I was not functional. I, I, I really kind of, had lost it. Uh, intellectually or emotionally or whatever. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I I stopped at one point and said, I am not going to continue with this because I don't know what's going on and I'm not taking responsibility for this. And that's when this facilitator said, don't worry about it. Yale University is taking full responsibility. You just conduct your part of it. He was just an authority figure. And he was just, this is your job, just go ahead and do it. We know what we're doing. It's not, you know, don't get excited here, just continue with the experiment. And I did. I was totally out of any world that I'd ever known. I was uh, tormented internally. I was a basket case.
7: (laughs) I can't take this pain anymore.
1: Now I want to get out of here. You can't keep me tied up like this. That's my will? Well, I want out. I don't want to go on
8: with this anymore. That's all. If I had ever gone to 450 volts, I would keep this a secret. I would be very much ashamed. Well, I'm not surprised that uh, there are a few people
0: speaking out. Is he
7: still
0: go on, please. The thought of quitting never... It's really strange, it never occurred to me to just say, you know what, I'm walking out of here, which I could have done. And it was like being in a situation that you never thought you would be in, not really being able to think clearly, being so far out of your own world of experiences, because that's all you know.
11: Four hundred fifty. Oh! The correct answer is white horse. Sad face, music, clown, girl. No answer. I told
1: you I wasn't answering. Please
11: continue. Oh! The correct answer is sad. Face.
13: I was surprised to find that that people often did not make clear connections between their behavior in the lab and outside, and Stanley was surprised to find that as well. One of the fully obedient people told me that um, he would never even harm a squirrel, that he always braked for wild animals. Okay, so he's a good person in that sense, but he has gone through this whole shock board administering what he thought were dangerous sharks to a human being but he doesn't seem to make the connections.
9: Alan Elms. Leon Mann is director of the Center for Research and Leadership at the University of Melbourne. Mann did his PhD at Yale in the early 60s where Stanley Milgram was one of his instructors.
5: What you have is this incremental slippage into more and more destructive behaviour, and then finding that there's nothing that's holding it in check, and you even get more used to it, and even more used to it. And that, I think, is one of the key things in the Milgram paradigm. I think if you were to say to someone, would you please administer a shock, and it's got triple X and it's called 450 or whatever, you'd say, uh, no way, having administered 15... 30, 45, 60, and having been pushed to go further and further, it's harder and harder to escape from the entrapment. And that's where I see situations in modern day, evil, if you like, where you get similar phenomena. And that might be, I think, part of what was going on at Abu Ghraib. Read this first question, please, and indicate your answer on
7: that scale with an X, and I'll go up and release the uh, unstrapped learner
0: and then at that point he said that has completed the experiment that he was going to get the uh, student I was scared to death you know they're going to let this guy out is he whether he's an actor or he's mad at me for shocking I don't know but we talked for a few minutes and then he and I left together and we walked out of the building and we got out onto the street and then he went one way and I went the other the first thing I did when I got home was to talk to my next door neighbor, who was a master electrician, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I went over to Marshall's home. Say, Marshall, you're not going to believe what happened. Let me tell you this. And he said to me, Bill, it wasn't real. You know, those things couldn't really happen with the voltage that you just said and all this. You know, so he made me feel better that, you know, no, I didn't really do anything that hurt anybody. But the question was always, Jesus, you know, what can they make you do here, you know? Or what, what did you do? i mean, they thank you, nobody held a gun to my head.
12: And uh, all the way home, I was wondering to myself, could it be? And I said, it can't be, it's uh, the only thing that makes logic and sense is that I was the subject of the experiment to see how far they would go, and uh, that the other man, he must be the best actor I've ever come across. He deserved an Academy Award for that.
1: I didn't realize I was the guy that they were after. Whatever they gained by it, I hope they, they gained something, but I don't think much of the whole deal. I walked downtown through the New Haven, through the Green, to this bar that I know. In fact, I used to work there. And I sat down, had myself a few beers, and I felt a little bit better. Of course, I spent all my money, five dollars. It's a lot of money for that, and uh, that was it.
9: Two years later, Milgram published his findings. Opinions on the experiments were divided. Some called them the most important psychological research of the 20th century. Others called them vile and in line with the human experiments of the Nazis. Dr. Thomas Blass is professor of social psychology at the University of Maryland and Stanley Milgram's biographer.
6: Obviously it was an object of controversy right from the beginning, and the controversy was based on two grounds. Number one, what it revealed about us, about human nature, that people are capable of doing this. But secondly, the ethical issue. What right did he have to have subjects undergo an unanticipated highly stressful experience, which clearly characterized most of these subjects. And secondly, what right did he have to deceive them? As part of making the experiment workable, he couldn't tell them the truth. I mean, imagine if I asked you to pull out a sheet of paper, and have two choices. Tell me, do you consider yourself independent-minded, or do you consider yourself obedient? I don't have to be a prophet to know that virtually all of you are going to say independent-minded.
3: The
9: debate that was prompted by Milgram's research resulted in a revival of interest among psychologists in the whole issue of experimental ethics with human subjects. Nowadays, strict guidelines have made repeats of Milgram's experiment almost impossible. Probably because of the ethical controversy, Milgram made no mention of the last experiment in his book, Obedience to Authority. In this, Milgram recruited pairs of friends or relatives, taking one aside to be coached in the learner's role and the other to play the teacher. Brother-in-law shocked brother-in-law. Workmate shocked workmate. Father shocked son.
6: Clearly he was driven by the need to make a mark for himself. And that enabled him, or maybe made him... Overlook or minimize the suffering of some of his subjects. But to his credit, he did something unusual, which is to send a um, questionnaire after the experiment to find out how did it affect them? What did they think of the experience? He asked people how glad or how sorry were you to have been in the experiment, and only a small fraction, 1.4%, said they were very sorry. And they were not, as far as we know, in majority of cases, any persisting uh, long-term effects. It was 1974,
14: I was uh, watching television, and the phone rang. My brother John was at his girlfriend's house watching the CBS news show, 60 Minutes. My mother answered the phone. He said, Mom, quick, Dad's on the TV. She said, what are you talking about? Because at this point, my father had been dead nine years. And uh, he said he's, he's on TV. They hooked him up to electrodes. They're shocking him. And she said, well, "What are you What are you talking about?" And she said, "It's some kind of a psychological experiment." It was like a little light bulb went off her head. She said, "Oh, that experiment." Oh! All right, experimenter. I'm not answering anymore. I'm not touching these
1: switches.
14: For me, it was the first time I saw. You know, I I had only seen a s- snapshot of my father and. I don't remember. I have a vague memory of watching him shave once, just before my third birthday when he died. A very vague memory of him. But here I saw him on TV, moving. I got to see what he moved like, and I got to, you know, I, I heard what he sounded like for the first time.
7: Correct the answer. I'm not The answer's incorrect. The voltage level is 420
9: volts. How do you think it affected you? Have you thought about it much over the years? Oh, I haven't been ready to
1: jump off a tall building or anything. But for a long time, I felt sorry for this guy. It affected my life. You know, I could say I'm going to sue everybody in sight, which I've given that some thought. Uh, but no, it's not the end of the world. I felt bad for this guy. And all the time, I was the guy that should they should have felt bad
13: for.
12: I wouldn't say I was proud of myself afterwards. Before that happened, I had been the chairman of the Communist Party in New Haven. I had been uh, arrested, put on uh, trial in this country. I think that that experience was, uh, yes, it led me to be uh, skeptical. Uh, it led me to volunteer for this sort of thing, too, you know, to see what's new in the world and so on. But uh, it certainly led me to uh, have this stubbornness and the grit to say to a a man in a white coat with one rimmed glasses that I'm not gonna do what you want. So there is that. At at the same time, I also have said to myself sometimes, what would I do if the CP ordered me to do something like that? Would I uh, say no? I think I would argue, fight, and maybe say no. But uh, you know, there was uh, I would, the feeling that I had at one time of wanting to belong. You know, would be very strong.
0: I don't really know what I discovered, other than there are a lot of things that go on that are out of your control, and there are things that go on within you when you are under extreme stress. That uh, you know aren't pretty. Let's put it that way.
9: How did you feel about it over the years? Did you think about it much?
0: Yeah, I did. I mean, I thought about it a lot, and it, it was a very uncomfortable feeling to think about that activity. Because just the whole thing is really not a—it's not a pleasant experience. But I I think the first time, maybe I heard, was about 1982. And I was dating someone who was a, she was a professor at a university in Connecticut. And she was teaching the book. She was a psychology professor. I told her, oh gee, I was in that experiment. Well, she went nuts, you know. And uh, she said, would you mind coming to class and telling the class, you know, about your experience, and so forth. (laughs) I never gave it a second thought, and I said, sure. So, uh, don't forget this. So, now, I'm 40-something, and these are 18, 19-year-old kids. And I showed up, well, you would have thought that Adolf Hitler walked in the room. Do you know what I mean? They had been reading the book, you know, about obedience to authority, and Given the shock treatments and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'd really never thought about it that way, you know. But they they didn't say anything, but you could tell they were very uh, much at ease. They couldn't understand how anybody could do anything like that. And <clears throat> I guess they asked some questions. I don't really remember. But I remember telling him it's very easy to sit back and say, oh, I'd never do this or that or. You know, nobody could ever get me to do anything like that. Well, guess what? Yes, they can. The main point
8: that was Stanley's main principal conclusion that people behave as we do largely as a result of situational factors, rather than because we're psychopaths. Uh, The people who obeyed in the obedience experiments and the people at Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib are not psychopaths, they're in situations in which obedience is... many kinds of obedience are essential to survival. It's the situation that governs, and that's what's demonstrated in several very unhappy situations we see today.
5: We all know, of course, that we wouldn't be entrapped, we would have resisted, we would have broken off very quickly, but um, we make these assumptions and we just don't know. know. How many situations have your listeners been in? where they find that they're watching something happening. They're a minority of one in a situation which things seem to be getting out of hand, and the momentum is going with a majority of people, and they say, just a moment, what's going on here? How can I resist this? How can I fight against it? And in the end, they say, if only I'd spoken out. And this happens in many organizations. It happens in many situations. And as a social psychologist, I see examples of this all the time.
0: I've got to tell you one of the things that when I first met Barbara, when we, I showed her the tape that I had from the BBC. She so, said, oh, that's great. So the first thing, you know, when we first meet, what was it you said? You know, me the, showing me the torture tape. <laughs> How to friend, win friends and influence yeah. people. Well, I said
9: yes anyway. So you showed your new prospective bride the torture tape? Yes. Is that because you wanted her to know the darker side of you first?
0: I don't know why I did it, but there is something there. I don't know enough about it, but you know what I'm talking about? There's some, there's another, there's a little evil there somewhere.
9: Uh, You said before that uh, Milgram enjoyed, what did you say, emotional torture?
0: I thought so, yeah. I think that was part of his.
9: you know, like, oh,
0: I wonder what I can get these people to do, you know, and I wonder if I can, how I can manipulate them, you know, like Dr. No or, you know, one of those creepy... A creepy guy.
7: That was subject 0301. Somewhat nutty. Might look into his medical record. Next 0302.
14: My neighbor across the street was a New Haven fireman, and uh, and he was one of the participants who had to shock my father. Uh, I twist of events when my father collapsed in the kitchen when he, the morning he died in January of 1965. My sisters ran across the street and got this same guy to come over and administer mouth to mouth on my father. So that's kind of a strange twist of events. Here he is, shocking him three years earlier. And uh, five years later, he's coming to his rescue.
7: Required
4: that was Beyond the Shock Machine by Sharon Davis and Gina Perry. The beautiful mix you heard was engineered by Russell Stapleton. The Milgram experiment has not only been cited in analyses of authority, morality, and ethics. It's also seeped into the pop cultural consciousness, inspiring plays, movies, TV show plot lines, performance art happenings, songs, band names, and more. Could there be another psychological experiment with the same notoriety? I don't think so. Here's a brief tour of the reverberating influence of Milgram's work.
1: The following program deals with a mature theme in a mature manner. We urge discretion with respect to family
11: viewing. In
4: 1975, a much younger and much thinner William Shatner and a much younger and much thinner John Travolta starred in The Tenth Level, a made for TV dramatization of the experiment.
1: For many years, I've been interested in the question of obedience to order.
4: It was Travolta's film debut.
1: Obedience to any kind of authority, possibly malevolent authority. The question is simply this. What makes otherwise ordinary men and women obey orders which instruct them to harm, maim, kill other innocent human beings?
2: What is
7: the psychological
1: From
4: low culture to high, a made-for-TV special to an art museum, Milgram's work influenced creative people of all kinds. In 2002, a British artist named Rod Dickinson performed a three-and-a-half-hour reenactment of the Milgram experiment in a specially built replica of the laboratory used in the first obedience studies. It was located in the Center for Contemporary Art in Glasgow, and an audience watched the performance through a one-way window. New.
7: House. Pet. Book. Name.
1: No. No. Wrong. This is 300 volts. It was new house.
4: And lest it ever be said that the ubiquitous TV show Law & Order doesn't have its finger on the pulse of psychological drama... A 2008 episode of Special Victims Unit starred Robin Williams as a deranged suspect who held two detectives hostage and forced them to perform the Milgram experiment on each other, casting one in the role of teacher and one in the role of learner.
1: Why are you doing this? Teach you a little lesson about power and authority. You cops with your guns and your badges, you think you can do anything you want. You think you own the streets. I don't abuse my authority. Oh, every cop abuses his authority.
4: But wait, that's not all. There's also a band named, you guessed it, The Milgram Experiment.
3: It's been so long. I've forgotten how. You're gonna get shocked. If you try me out. I can't swim. I never learned to drive.
4: What to make of the extensive reach of this young Stanley Milgram and his experiment heard around the world, quoted in everything from scholarly journals to made-for-TV movies? Clearly, we do not want to think of ourselves as having the capacity for cruelty and inhumanity. And yet, his research shows that many, maybe even most of us, do it was inevitable that that explosive observation would be felt by artists, writers, and performers for years, even decades to come. Now, you may know of even other ways the experiment has leached into the worlds of art, literature, television, music, whatever. And if you do, let us know. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org.
3: Let me try you out Let me try you out Let me try you out I'll show you what it's all about Hi everybody, this is Katie Mingle, the producer of ReSound, inviting you to come join Third Coast on Monday, February 11th for an evening of audio stories inspired by the play Disconnect, showing right now at the Victory Gardens Theatre. We'll share some powerful stories specially curated around themes from the play about identity, real and imagined. Visit thirdcoastfestival.org to find a link for tickets and more information. That's Monday, February 11th at the Victory Gardens Theatre. Hope to see you there. Resound
4: is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxside. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. Support for Resound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation and the Menaki Foundation. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.
3: You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. Stay connected with us through Facebook and Twitter or by signing up for our email list at thirdcoastfestival.org. If you like what you heard today, consider writing us a review on iTunes or sending us a few bucks. As always, thanks for listening.